Are you looking for valuable business advice to reach that seven-figure revenue mark? Do you want actionable tips to properly navigate through every business challenge you encounter along the way? Let Tersh Blissett and Josh Crouch be your guide in getting you to the top here at Service Business Mastery. Tune in as they sit down with world-renowned authors in business, leadership, and personal growth who share valuable insights about management, marketing, pricing, human resources, and so much more. Let their nuggets of wisdom gold guide you in owning a thriving, profitable, and ever-growing business. Here are your hosts, Tersh and Josh. Uh, so we are here from BDR with Jeff Plant at, at the AHR at the AHR Expo in Atlanta, um, live from BDR's booth, and we are going to continue our conversation on contractors' pain points. So Jeff is an expert. He's going to talk about all kinds of fun contractor pain points and, and ways that BDR is helping contractors solve those pain. Points. Well, we talked earlier about uh, just the the lack of labor that we have in the industry or the perception of lack of labor. Right. And I, I feel like a lot of that is due to a lack of proper training. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Um, we could bring in greener people that have a great personality and spend some time and effort training them and then uh, have amazing technicians. The, the challenge that I have with that is most of the times whenever I send someone to a training class, they end up being, it ends up being a sales training class where they come back and, okay, so maybe not that person necessarily, but the person that's uh, maybe a senior person that's with them or is back at the office says, that's a sales course, they're teaching you how to sell, they're not teaching you how to or they don't even have the foundational principles of what the job actually entails before they decide, yeah. before they get taught how to sell. Yeah, what's your thoughts on that? So, um, when we, or when I personally do uh, sales or training with technicians, I actually teach them, uh, um, not necessarily to sell, but just have a conversation with the clients. Because uh, when, okay. when, you, when you look at technicians, uh, the, sales, the word sales is a little standoffish, because none of them want to be salespeople. Right, but in so in reality, without sales, we don't stay in business. Absolutely, absolutely. But how do you convey that message to the t to the technician so that they understand that you have to sell, but we're not a sleazy salesperson? Because it's all about doing the right thing. A technician always a, a great technician or any technician for that matter always has uh, the the right thing or the best thing for the client in mind. And sometimes that equates to low charge invoices or no charge because they want to do the best thing for the client. So when I do trainings with them, I, I show them that the best thing for the client is actually to have a conversation and inform them about the great products we have. That can save them money, can improve the air quality in their home, can improve efficiency of their systems. Um, because a lot of times the technicians will go in and come out as cheap as possible, and that's not the best thing for the client. Right, they're looking just to do the quick fix. Right. This piece is broken, I'm going to fix this piece, and I'm not going to look how at you, anything how else. How do you change that mindset, though? Because I truly believe they're spending their own money when they do that. Like. So if it was me and I was I was fixing this for my mom, I wouldn't want her to do X, Y, and part. Z. I would fix this part because I know that when it breaks again in, in two weeks, I can go back and fix it again. Sure. And we want to get away from that mindset towards a mindset of that understands where like they paid us to come in to do a diagnostic and 
maybe this is where it's at. The diagnostic is so low that in their mind they perceive that the diagnostic is only the first initial diagnosis, not the diagnostic of the entire system. To me, if I pay for, like, so I'm going to get my uh, truck serviced mm -hmm. and I paid for the, the, the full servicing and, and diagnostic and then I come and pick my truck up and my power steering pump is still whining. I'm like, why, why didn't you even offer to replace the power steering pump? Well, it's because it's $2,500 and I assumed you didn't want to do it. Like, no, what I don't want to do is I don't want to drive down I-16 and then my steering lock up when I'm driving 80, supposed to be 70, probably 85. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I can't steer because of a power steering issue. You know right. what I mean? Absolutely. That's what I want. I don't I don't want to just yeah, put power steering what food. It costs, yeah. Tell me at least what you can do for Let me make the decision, not not you. You can't don't tell me, don't make don't say no for me. How how do I get them? Because that's that's literally a conversation that I had at the Ram dealership that services mine. How did they not realize like who you were? <laughs> well, honestly, so funny thing, funny story. Julie always takes it. She always calls and makes an appointment. She takes the truck, drops it off. We'll, we'll drop it off the night before. She goes and picks it up. They never offer it. And literally the last time I was there, I wrote on there, I want the power steering pump changed because it whines it's and, and it's a diesel truck it's they're known for doing it and i was like let's just go ahead and change it out and then they didn't do it and i called back later and they were like well it was it wasn't twenty five hundred dollars but it was expensive relatively expensive part to replace i said well you can just you know pick one up and do it yourself i was like Absolutely not. I'm wearing a three-piece suit and I have $1,500 shoes on. I'm not getting power steering fluid on my shoes. You know, that's not like, don't, like, and, and what they were doing is as a technician, they were selling it based on what they would do. And right. I have technicians that way. I've had technicians that way. How do you change that mindset so that they're offering what's the best interest of the clients? So just exactly what you said. Uh, so I've been in trainings before that I've had that pushback from technicians. A couple of things, first of all, is they're thinking about what they can afford when they go into it, when they go into calls. Secondly, is I, I flat out asked them, I said, you know, what gives you the right to make a decision for somebody else? You, you can't do that. So um, I've had a conversation with people that says, well, you know, maybe it's an older couple that they can't afford that. Well, those are the perfect people that we need to put surge protectors in, because a surge protector can help eliminate a future major breakdown protector equipment. Yeah. So, you know, I really talk to the technicians again about what's the right thing to do for the client. Um, so if I go to the doctor, like you go, like you go to, to your truck dealership, I go to the doctor every every year to get a full checkup. Well, if he just comes in and I say, "Hey, my knee's hurting," and he looks at my knee, but he doesn't check my heart out in a full checkup, I got a problem. So on the on the diagnostic part, we really need to uh, get the technicians to understand that it is not a symptom diagnostic; it is a system diagnostic. Yeah. You know, so we can go and we can find the problem pretty rapidly in most cases, but there's other components that we can help improve and reduce breakdowns in the future, improve the performance of the system. And, you know, and it's easy for me to sit here and say this because I know how to do it and I've been through it, but to get across to technicians, it always comes back to this. It always comes back to what is the best thing for the client. And going in and getting out as fast as we can, as cheap as possible, is never 
the best thing for the client. Because do you, do you find when when the technicians you're working with are doing that, it's coming from the top down? Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes. What do you mean by that? Like like the business owners like. Well, they're, th they're throwing six, eight, ten calls on you because they're busy, right? They don't have a proper structure in place to make sure it's like, oh, hey, you get like, even when we're busy, we got three calls on you today. I want you to take your time. Don't worry about anything else going on. You focus on what you're doing right here, and we'll take care of everything else. What do you tell a technician when they tell you that they're the business owner or the service manager or the dispatcher is constantly throwing eight calls on them? So I never do a tech training without talking to the owner first. And okay. I find that stuff out. So okay. I'm never going. I'm never going to combat. You know, I'm never going to necessarily. I don't, I don't want to say take sides, but I'm not going right. to put the owner in that in that position. I'm going to find out before I go in what that is. Do you, when you had that conversation and the owner's like, "Yeah, Jeff, unfortunately, that is what we do." Do you say, "Hey, that's got to stop"? So again, I always take it about what's, <laughs> back, what's best for the client. Yeah. Right. And. Um, you know, when we look at doing eight, nine calls a day, because I was, I was that technician earlier. I was too, like 12, right. and it was a badge of honor. I got 12 no, calls. No, those, those technicians' Facebook groups, it is like, oh, man, I did 15 calls today. Yeah, and it's it, like, you're great, and all your tickets were 100 bucks. And you're little, probably going to be back at half those calls. And it was the, literally like that. The marketing calls, I mean, the marketing expense for each one of those calls is $250. Well, that, that, and that then you have $100. That's where yeah. we got companies like BDR to help you understand those things, because <laughs> that's, that stuff's expensive. Right. So again, I, I go back and I say, all right, listen, you know, because again, you go in, you come out. So I challenge them, you know, because I was a technician for many years. Um, and I said, well, let me ask you this. If you went on 10 calls and I went on those 10 calls behind you and I performed at the level that I'm teaching That's right now, would you feel comfortable? And every single time, guys, when I ask that question in tech trainings, the, the, the whole class goes silent. There might be one or two say, I would, which is great. But I, I want to get them thinking is, I want you to perform this like somebody is coming behind you. And they won't, they won't find something that you didn't find. For sure. And it goes back to time. So does, that, does that ever, so if you, I'm thinking about businesses that pay their technicians by the hour. Mm -hmm. Does that, do we have a... Does the pay scale run into... Well, does it turn into like a, a bad situation where all of a sudden now the technicians are spending three hours on calls and they're still getting a hundred dollar tickets. Yeah. Oh sure, that's happening all the time. Okay. Yeah, and that's what we train, that's what we train. First of all, we're showing the owners, you know, th this is why your service department is a, is a, is a, is a burden to you because yeah. you're not maximizing the opportunity you have. So is, is this the, so full disclosure, back in 2007, when I became a service manager, the owner of the company did me the most greatest service ever. And some would, at the time, I kind of thought it was a disservice. The previous manager thought it was a disservice. But Fred came up to me and he said, you've never service managed. Here's a book on service managing from BDR. And I was like, all right. So I flipped over the cover. I flipped over the cover. At that point in time, the thought process was that the service department covered the overhead expenses of the business. Is that still your thought process? That's a thing we call SCORE. Service covers overhead regularly for the entire company. Okay, so going back to that, before you were, you had mentioned that you were, um, you had those technicians that still do that, you know, $100 and they're there for two or three hours. Obviously, that that can't 
that can't happen if that's going to cover the overhead of the company. Nope. Especially if you have you know two service technicians or three service technicians uh, and one install crew, and then all of a sudden, like you, you're not generating enough revenue to cover the overhead of the company. Much I mean, you, you're not even covering your own paycheck, much less the overhead of the company and that's everything right. else. Um, but what happens if you if you, if it goes the opposite direction? So about three years ago. I wore a badge of honor that now I know is not necessarily the greatest thing, and that was the fact that our average service ticket was eight hundred and eighty dollars. You know, it was like that for a long period of time, and uh, I was like, "This is amazing." And then someone came to me and was like, "No, that's terrible." Can you tell me your thoughts on that? Well, um, the number's great. It's how we got there. That's yeah. what I'm going to find. Well, what's the path? Because, you know, I tell people, I, I coach clients, I say, listen, if you're out there cutting wires and doing unethical, unethical stuff, I don't want to coach you. you. You don't have to do that. Yeah. Uh, what you have to do and what you're obligated to do is, like you were talking about, inform the client, give them the options, and let them make a choice. Whatever the average ticket ends up after that is based on their choice and your your professional guidance to what best fits their home. Yeah. Well, if you, do, if you follow that principle, generally speaking, the average ticket takes care of itself. Yeah, so because here's, people appreciate that and they it does. People want more than just the basic fix. Like we don't go to the store and buy the basic TV. We get the LQ LED or whatever the hell sure. the fancy thing is now because we want that stuff. We want to have cleaner air. We want to be more comfortable in our home, especially now in 2023 a lot of remote yeah. work and stuff like that. Like right. I want to be comfortable. I yeah. don't, don't want to sit so there. With us, the, the issue that we were having is uh, we were off, we weren't offering replacement options or, or lead flips. We were fixing everything. And so in order for us to have an $880 average ticket, we had to have a lot of $2,500 tickets yeah. to, count, to counter the $95 sure. tickets, which tells me that we have a lot of $2,500 tickets that were coil and compressor replacements that should have been system replacements. Right. And uh, our lead, so after talking with someone, it was like, they, they said, I bet your lead flips are extremely low. And I was like, hmm, let me look at that. So I take a look at it. And then like the decline of lead flips was directly correlated to the increase in the average ticket price. And I was like, well, there you go. Uh -huh. That comes back to a management, that comes yeah. back to a management issue of, you know, reviewing your tickets. Where am I, where's the revenue coming from? Right? And monitoring, because you're going to set, you're going to set a standard or percentage of lead flips that you want from service because service is your best lead generator. That's going to have your highest closing ratio for sales. So it just comes back to managing that. Mm -hmm. um, but again, when you come back to the client, and that goes back to labor too. You know, I know that uh, we talk about having a labor shortage, um, and I agree. I understand we have a labor shortage in industry, but I also think for a long time in our industry, we've had a labor management or labor efficiency problem for 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 decades. And now you take that problem and match it up with the labor shortage problem, and you've got this perfect storm of, oh my gosh, everybody's wanting to work, everybody's wanting to do this. No, the big problem is, is we're not maximizing our opportunities ethically. Again, yeah. we're not taking advantage of people. We're not maximizing our opportunities. Therefore, um, we can't we can't pay the people what they need to. Because in the seventies, you know, people were making twenty dollars an hour in the, in the AC industry in the seventies, but houses cost forty grand, fifty grand. Right. Nowadays, they cost over two hundred grand, and we're still paying people twenty-five dollars an hour, or yeah. seven hundred grand. So, so yeah, so so so, how can somebody afford to even buy a house when we're still doing it the old way? That's true. And the only way—I mean, Kim Archer did a did a um, did some work on that, 
and she said to afford a home today, it should be 40 to 50 to maybe $55 an hour. Wow. And we're still doing 25 bucks an hour. Yeah, we're still trying to do the, old the things. labor rates, like with a lot of other markets and, and minimum wage, it's definitely has not carried the same trajectory. I mean, it, it's de- it definitely got better through COVID. At least I feel that way with stuff that I've seen, but yeah. it didn't follow the same trajectory. It wasn't a normal like cost of increase every single year like it's been some other. Years. Do you think that? Do you think we need to stay with hourly? Do do we give like just a twenty percent of the ticket? You know, there's uh, there's some there's some people out there to do that. Um, I think I think if you're asking me, I think hourly is the better option. Um, it's the quality controls better. You, you don't run the risk of people, um, you know, pushing the boundaries of, of ethical ethics, right? Yeah. Uh, but there's there's companies out there to do it that are that are doing okay with it. I like the hourly because I like to have other programs on top of that hourly that uh, that increase the hourly wage. Sure. So they can you know, still stuff programs. The guys that yeah. can offer and follow the process can still make more money, but it's more manageable. You don't run the risk of somebody abusing the system. But the other thing is, when you when you set up hourly, you can really set up a career path, and that's what people are looking for. Me, when I came up through the trades, I, you know, I was a, I was an apprentice program, so it didn't matter what I knew. I was going to be a third, a fourth, and a fifth year apprentice. It didn't it didn't matter. You were going to spend that year as an apprentice. Okay. Today's people are not that way. No. Uh, it's the At six months, they're like, uh, I need my van, or I'm going to go somewhere else. Well, just think about video games. You know, uh, we're a our generation or the generation of there is very video game trained so you can buy a video game I can buy the same one I can be on level one for six months you'd be on level 10, 10 in three weeks and every time you go from one level to the next bells and whistles go off you get a new gun you get this so if we set our career paths up the same way where it's merit-based and you earn it yeah that um, you know you don't have to be that's know, that's a really good point because they were there I think about the military yeah. when I think about this. Uh, I was I was former Air Force. Josh was former Air Force. My wife is still in the Air Guard. Um, and so, like, Julie, she's in a lieutenant colonel slot. But she literally can't put on lieutenant colonel until she's been there for another two and a half years. Just being there two and a half years. But she does everything that is required of a lieutenant colonel but she just can't pin on until she has time. And that just doesn't make sense. And and not only that, if she was in a, a career path of a lieutenant colonel, but there was a she was a, a major and there was already a lieutenant colonel there, she'd have to wait for that lieutenant colonel to leave in order for her to move up. Yeah. Instead, even if she outworked and showed that she had better merit than that person. And then what that does is that just kills your morale. You don't want to go to drill. You don't want to learn more. Sure. You're not going to put forth more effort because why? There's nothing that I can do to increase my career path. I can't be a go-getter and, and do better. I could be a go-getter. All of a sudden, more tasks are being thrown on me. Yeah, you're just going to get more work. Yeah, and so now I'm the person that's doing all the work for, the, for someone else that I should have their position. And... I don't believe in that that thought process. I didn't believe in it when I was in the Air Force. I thought it was an irritating thought process. Yeah. And so I can totally well, understand like a, exactly what you're saying. It's like an old union philosophy, too. It's like, you know, you, you start, and I, I worked at a, a union thing for a very short time. It was like, no matter how good I was doing, I was always a number behind a bunch of other numbers. And it was like, you, could, you can't leapfrog them just because you're doing better at your job. You had that time of service, and then those people had to go leave or do something like 
literally like leave or die and you move, yeah. up the, move up the chain of command, if you will. It was, it was irritating. And if you do it right, so you know, we've got, we've got uh, levels for technicians, development installers, entry level all the way to level five. And we had it in, our company, in my company. And what I knew was this, is, and, and what we did, we put posters on the wall and it had the pay brackets right there in big red numbers. So everybody knew we, oh, we what, yeah. what your pay was yeah, at each we, level. We canceled that out right there, got rid of the talk. Because I just decided, you know, the guys that were there a long time, we needed their knowledge. But, um, you know, sometimes we hang on to low performers because they've just been there a long time. Yeah, for sure. And um, so we did, we built that out. And so they, they actually saw, hey, if I do this, 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 and this, I go here. But the way we built it out is if I had a level four or level five technician and they were making that kind of money, I knew my clients were getting excellent service and they had already brought two people through the through training. Okay. So that's just the way we had it built. And what said, happens if, if they get to a level five and then they get uber complacent? Do they ever get knocked back down to a level four? Or is that like a... So that's that's one of the difficult ones, right? Yeah. Because you had that performance bracket. Yeah. Um, and we had a program that if you were on that and, and we saw several months of, of underperforming, whatever it was, yeah. we would put them on a PIP, a personal improvement plan, but we would sit down with them. We wouldn't just say, hey, you know, you're not performing. We would actually communicate with the guys, which is a novel idea nowadays, right? <laughs> right. Communication. We'd communicate and... Um, and I think we had to do, honestly, we didn't have to do it one time. And the, and the technician understood and immediately corrected performance yeah. and got back. Uh, I feel like anytime I've ever had that conversation, it's a tough conversation. It is. A lot of time it 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 focus, it comes back to the house. Like, There's something I've been working on. so long, they so much know, that, tell you that we've been fighting that. at home now and I'm bringing this to work and I can't concentrate. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Wait, let's. So I do, I do all the leadership training. At, uh, at BDR. I do leadership training inside BDR, outside of BDR. We've got a leadership academy. So one of the things I talk about when doing leadership with training with, with people is, um, I do one that's called, um, everyone communicates, few people connect. But if you don't connect with your team, and I'm not talking about you gotta go to barbecues and all this stuff on the weekends. What I mean is you need to connect with your team more than once a year. Because if you're doing like a review, if I'm sitting down with you once a year, yeah. about you your job. You don't know much about them. Conversation can't go right? Well, what, I'm, I can talk for 30 minutes. You know what's on his mind? I get more money? Yep. That's it. <laughs> That's, That's literally it. it. That's it. Like, okay, get to the end. How much am I going to make now? When you have a career path, you, now you open up an opportunity to measure against their progress and have more communication with them. And I promise you that'll take your team to a whole nother level. So this, so going along the career path thing, Church and I talk about this all the time, um, you get that technician who's a great performer. Mm -hmm. They think, I'm, I'm a good business man. service manager, yeah. general manager. Yeah. And they don't realize that they think it's more pay or salary. I go like to sit in the office, like you know, so the, the stigma, like oh, office life is great, right? I just sit on my ass. There's literally like been posts in the groups, in different Facebook groups, that say, "I've been offered a job to be the service manager. How much of a pay raise should I ask for?" And I'm thinking to myself, "You're doing a job that you have no idea how to do, and you're coming out of the field as the top earner." Yeah. So now they're, they're losing a revenue generator, yeah. you become an overhead expense, and you don't have a clue how to do that job. You should be getting a pay cut. Well, and this, you, so you briefly, when, before we were talking, and then you briefly man, uh, mentioned management, bad management, yep. because I feel like that's always been the trajectory. Like I've worked at companies, and like the guy that was the top producer is like, oh, yeah, you're the service manager. manager. 
or you're the, that's it's gonna be your thing, but then they have no idea how to manage people. You've been here the longest, now you're the you've been, yeah, yeah, you've been here the it's the same thing like a union mentality, right? Yeah. It's a whole like, well, you got the seniority, so that's gonna be your thing, but they suck with people. Mm -hmm. So so there's two things. There's, there's leadership and management, so that, that could be a bad management practice, but it's bad leadership too because we're um, talking about a technician going from the field to, to service management, so that's a, a, viewed as a step up. Yeah. So when you look at leadership, actually the higher you go in leadership, the more of a servant you become to the people. Good point. So if you're not if you're not growing the people around you or realizing, hey, I've got I've got this leadership role, they're not responsible to me, I'm responsible to them. Yeah. So it's a mindset and you have to teach your team that. Uh, because if you're in a leadership role, if you're in a service manager role, you're responsible for your team to be successful. So that should my mind should click and say, Man, I've got to make sure that I have the tools in place for them to be successful. I got to make sure they have a path. I got to make sure all these things. So, I think that well, it's not. I think I know that fails in a lot of situations because owners or people they don't know what leadership means. They hear the word, they have, and they always equate leadership back to management. Yeah, that's true. Is that because they because people that start their business in this trade, this trade specifically, HVAC or plumbing, um, they were the technician. They, they weren't trained well. They didn't have the foundation to Absolutely. actually be successful managing and leading other people. They just like, well, I don't want to work for some, I don't want to work for someone else. So, so one of my one of my uh, guys that I follow, one of my mentors, is John Maxwell, and uh, he talks about the five levels of leadership: positional, you got posi position, permission, production, people development, and pinnacle. And everybody gets that first position, or first leadership role, because they get the position. The problem is, is everybody they stay there, and that position mentality is you do what I say because of the position I have. And the hard, the, one of the hardest steps is that step from one to two, because you have to earn the permission to be the people's leader. And the mm. only way you can do that is connecting with them, building trust with them. They trust you as their leader. You trust them, and now you get to the next level where you're production, where you're actually starting to get stuff done. Your, your department starting to be successful. And then you start identifying what you start. You start identifying those people that can be the next possible leaders, and that's your people production, your people development. So those things, um, and I know that that may be a little. You might think that it's a little bit, a bit off base of what we started with as far as average ticket, but it has everything to do with yeah. that. It has yeah. everything to do with that. Well, well, happiness of your staff, like literally, and the, the. I feel like the thoughts starting to get out there more and more as more education and more people that are younger ideas coming into the trade and stuff like that. Like Tommy Mello from A1 Garage is a huge proponent of taking care of his employees first because that those are his best customers because they are going to treat his customers like gold because they're treated like gold and they're paid well to do so. Right. And they're taken care of, they're given leadership training, they're given all these things and these opportunities. And I feel like starting, like we're starting to grow as an industry that way, but there's a lot of people that have been in this trade a long time that haven't. They haven't gotten the experience, or they haven't reached out to companies like VR to get that education. Yeah, that's the, the when I became service manager, um, I didn't know how to have that conversation. And first, when I got off, I was horrible at my first service manager role. I was terrible. Oh my gosh, and I was a horrible manager. I, I had, didn't know what to do. I had a conversation with uh, one of our our next technician in the in the line of. Uh, being productive or whatever, and I, I just struggled hard with it. I I treated them like you need to respect me because of the position I'm in, just like you yeah, said. It wasn't earned. It was well. I have this title. So now you have, you to, have respect. to respect me like that and talk to me like I'm your boss and all this other stuff. And uh, we seriously butted heads 
I mean, and then something clicked, and I realized, and it probably was a BDR training of some sort. It must have been a good book. It must have been a good book, and it, it just, I learned, I, I lost that technician, and uh, losing that one technician was devastating to me, and so I think that was my one of my turning points. And then um, I was reading, um, although it wasn't a very easy read, I was reading uh, The Heart of Coaching. Mm -hmm. um, I think Jen, Jennifer was my service coach, service manager coach, and um, she's fantastic. Really good, yeah. and she was like, "Read this chapter, read this part." And I'm like, "Jennifer, this is so hard to read," and, but she's like, "Yes, but once you read it, was it you because it was self-reflective?" Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. And it's Painful like, problem. how do I yeah. need to coach someone else? And I'm like, "I'm not coaching these people. These are people who work for me." Right, right. And and once that mindset clicked, and then she she gave me the uh, the fish. It was something about the Seattle fish market. I can't remember um, the name of the book, but it was all about the culture and them throwing fish and in the fish market and stuff like that. And once those two things really clicked with me, then I was like, okay, I understand what's going on here. And then we went from one million or yeah, one million to eight million through the recession, yeah. you know, and you know, service department covering the overhead the whole time. And that just that wouldn't have happened had I continued to be the leader that was actually a manager and a bad one at that. We we all learned. I mean. I learned how to charge a system, beer can cold, and I learned that from the owner that I worked for at the time. Well, that was the same uh, company that I got my first uh, service manager role, and, uh, and and no fault to him. I was the one that was there the longest. I got the position. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I just thought I was the one that the owner and the, and the customers yelled at. So, yeah. But uh, same thing. You, you learn. You learn over time, and um, it's helped. But when you when you when you're a service manager, specifically in the service department. And you have the trust and respect of your team because you, because it's a two-way street. That alone, when they when they have the trust in their service manager, that alone can help them see the light of why we need to be doing the things we need to be doing in our service point. department. This is the right thing to do for our clients. You can trust me. We trust each other, and that's what I mean. That's they, what they're not. They're them. not doing it just because you said to do it. It's like exactly. Don't, they see yeah, a vision. Yeah, exactly. They you wouldn't tell them to do that unless there was a reason why, and hopefully you explain the reason why. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I agree with that. Josh, you got anything? Last question you want to ask? Yeah, I mean this is this is just a plug for for BDR. So Terj and I spent a bunch of time with BDR at uh, in Tucson at your guys' event. A lot of that content hasn't come out yet, so hopefully by that time some of this content's out. Oh, yeah. But um, you guys have. You guys have a fantastic organization. Like, yeah. Literally, and, and it's not just us saying that from like like two days of seeing it. Literally, the conversations we had with contractors. Every and even contractor. people we run into here, they're like, oh, yeah, I've been, been in the BDR network for like ever. Yeah. And with coaching organizations, a lot of it's like bouncing around, like trying to find the right thing. And it seems like you guys kind of tailor your stuff to people so as they grow, it's able to grow with them so they're not... It's they're, a, not, it's, they're not hitting a wall and like, okay, I'm going to go find like the next company that's going to help me break through that. I mean, there's a lot of companies with, with in the coaches, like you guys, it's yeah. amazing how long you guys yeah. have been together. It feels like a family. So it's just a shout out for VR. And if anyone is, is listening to this, just touch base with these guys. These guys are doing great things. Sure. Um, and I, I think it would be really helpful for the industry to 
drive a few more people to the uh, Yeah, so. I agree with that 100%. Everything Josh said, 100% yeah. agree. Good deal. Cool. We appreciate you, man. Hey, thanks for your time. It's great, Jeff. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Service Business Mastery. Now that you are equipped with essential business advice from this impactful conversation, you are one step closer to becoming the successful owner of your dreams. If this episode has been helpful to your business journey, don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a rating, and share it with other owners as well. Visit servicebusinessmastery.com to learn more.